say to y'all, to you, um, God is really dealing with me on the subject of prayer, and he, it is not going to relent until he has it all. I'm quite confident. Um, and so I want to talk to you today about heart reality. I want to talk to you about what it means to live in heart reality. And I'm going to get, talk a little bit of history before I, as I go through this. But, um, so when I break out into history, don't y'all go like, oh my goodness. Uh, in the year 1415, history is good to know. Did y'all know that? That's how you, you know what history is? It's testimony, man. It's how you know what God might do for you. If you ever did it once, hey, hey. Testimony is an invitation for you to do it again. Oh, you don't wonder what happened in 1415. In 1415, John Huss was burned at the stake in Prague for preaching in the language of the people. He was preaching in the language of the common people, not just only preaching in Latin. And he disagreed with the practice of buying indulgences, which amounted to buying forgiveness. And so he was disagreeing with the established church at that time. And um, he was disagreeing with buying forgiveness. And he was preaching the word in the common language. And so he bought a ticket to be burned at the stake. But his death, like the death of the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But his death catalyzed three different movements. One of these movements were they were called the moderates. They would not make it in this country right now. <laughs> no. But they were called the moderates. And they believed in heart religion. I came out of my chair when I was reading it. They, because years ago, God spoke to me, Jane, I want heart reality. And so these moderates, they believed. Now, remember, they were, had been in a church that was very... Uh, traditional and um, liturgical, though there's not a thing wrong with liturgy, but it was uh, organized around practices that were external, like external works that you did to get forgiveness or that sort of thing. And so these folk, the moderates, they believed in heart religion as it had been practiced by the primitive Christians of the New Testament. That's what the historian said. They believed in heart religion as it had been practiced by the primitive Christians of the New Testament. In March of 1457, they formed a group called the Brethren of the Law of Christ. <laughs> and they sought to work within the church structure to reform it. That's how they were working at that time. Well, persecution continued. And things didn't go so well for them. I'll come back to that story in a moment. But their desire was, and the work that they were doing at that time, and who they were, and what they were receiving from the Lord, through God's Word, and through the Spirit, ultimately became the movements that we are in. It moved into movements that became Methodism, that became holiness, that became Pentecostal, that became charismatic, that became... So the, the process of this, we have an old, long history of people that cried out for heart religion like they practiced in the primitive church of the New Testament. In Proverbs chapter 23... The king said, my son, give me your heart. There are three things. I'm going to form this around three things, so hopefully you can remember what I said, not just that I rattled on about history. Three things that have to happen to have heart religion. Three elements of heart religion that the scripture tells us. The first one is that the heart must be given. 
my son, give me your time. My son, give me something you think I would like. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. The heart, when the scripture speaks to the heart, and any of you that train children or know how about training children, um, know that the only way a child will really, you can really impart to a child what you have to give is that you have to win their heart. And this is what the Moravians taught, win the heart of a child to teach a child. And so our Father in heaven, he's not about trying to lay things out so we can follow. Do this, do this, do this, do this. If you do these six things, you'll be totally healed. If you do these eight things, you'll have this. If you do this, this will have Above everything else, we're about the business of heart religion as it was practiced in the primitive New Testament. It is about give me your heart. What does the heart speak of? If you give someone your heart, oh, thank you, Father, I'm so grateful. If you give someone your heart, you give them your respect. You give them your affection. And in some way, you give them your thoughts and your time. If you give someone your heart. I want you to think. If you have to think back in time to get to this point, it's okay. Just don't tell your mate or your friend. (laughs) I'm thinking back 40 years. Uh, (laughs) But think about when you gave your heart. What does it mean when you give your heart? it starts to consume your thinking when you give your heart. So I'm trying to get my thoughts right. I'm working on my thoughts. I'm working on my thoughts. Give your heart. Give your heart. Go back to the heart religion. Because your heart will instruct your mind. If you let the affections, if you let your, as Bill Johnson says it, I, when I go to bed at night, he said, I, I, I go to bed. I don't want to go to sleep without my heart of affection being set on my Savior. So when I go to bed at night, I say, Lord, I set my heart of affection on you. And then I sleep in that place of knowing my affection is set on him. Well, you know, how can you really give God your heart? Well, it's a choice. It's a, it's a will choice. You say, I'm going to give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone, every breath that I take. I give you my heart. You make the choice. Well, you do know that your brain can get full of anxious thoughts. Have any of you ever had anxious thoughts? Every day. And so, but, and you can get filled with them. They can fill you up. They can just start filling you up. And so, yesterday I was just sitting and the Lord just spoke the sweetest verse. He said, the multitude of my thoughts within me, your comforts delight my soul. I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? It, the word is consolation. But the thing that was so wonderful about it was when I looked it up in Hebrew, it is always plural. It is always plural. It's not just like one time I'll give you consolation. One time I'll comfort you. In the multitude of my thoughts, and in Hebrew it says, in the multitude of my anxious thoughts, It's clearly anxious thoughts. In the multitude of my anxious thoughts, when they begin to multiply on you, let the consolations, plural, of God come into you. 
just don't try to fight down anxious thought, anxious thought. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Don't try to fight down anxious thoughts. Set your heart of affection on Jesus Christ, on the Father in heaven, and say, Lord, I, I give you my heart. I set my heart on you. Let your consolations roll in. Let your consolations roll in. As I prayed this yesterday and as I sat there, I have a sign. The Lord gives me that I have a certain kind of sign that I have. And I sat there and God gave me a sign. He gave the sign that I have to say <laughs> not, nothing else can. It's a, it's a physical thing. It's not what uh, to. I can smell things that are not there. I've told you guys my testimony that when I was healed of asthma, I smelled cedar wood. It blew up my nose. And yesterday, as I was sitting there, God let the smell of a very precious food thing come to me. It was nowhere around, nowhere to be found. It was not anything in the natural. And I just sat there. And then I just started to laugh. And I heard the Lord laugh and say, See, I can tell you I'm here. I got ways to tell you I'm here. You don't have to try to figure me out in the long term. I can just swish by you and you can have a sound of the tinkle of my high priest garments while I'm walking by you. Or you can have, the in the natural, our senses are attuned to the Spirit of the Lord when we set our heart on Him. And we're not trying to do everything from our intellect and in the natural. So give me your heart. The heart must be given. Secondly, the heart must be broken. We're praying for God to revive our country. Y'all been praying for revival in the country? Praying for revival in the country? Praying for revival in the world? We're praying for revival for us as a group of people and for this region, for the churches in this region, for revival to to come in this region. In Joel chapter 2, the second condition of heart religion is revealed. Joel is telling the people in chapter 2 about the birthing of the church and the mighty army of God and how he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. But before that happens, or before that time frame, Joel is saying, let the priests, the ministers, Weep between the porch and the altar. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And so what he is telling them is, let your heart break. I'm not impressed with if you rip your clothes and throw sackcloth on you or ashes on you. That's not what I'm after. I'm after the broken heart. I'm after the one who can be aware of and attuned to the fellowship of my sufferings and will let their heart break in the fellowship of my sufferings and not harden themselves and say, I'm not going to have this kind of difficulty. I don't want this. I'm turning my face away. Let your heart break. Let your heart break. When something comes, it's going to break your heart. Somebody I love very much lost, uh, tragically lost, someone about three years ago, and has opened her heart again, and could possibly lose that person that they opened their heart to. I said, oh, love, don't harden your heart. When people you love are in trouble, sometimes you want to harden your heart so it won't hurt so bad if it don't go well. Love, 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 love to the bitter end. Because that'll let your heart break. There's so many ways the enemy tries to harden your heart. He has a whole thing of it. Like a, I don't know, I think it's a packet. So when a demon's going out to 
come after. Someone who's rolling out to go after Sam Monk. And the devil says, here's your packet. He's got a little packet of strategies of the things that could harden Sam's heart. Yeah, oh, 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 oh. He does, he has these little packets. And so I've got news for the enemy, and I have news for my Father in Heaven. I'm keeping my heart open. If I end up in a bloody pulp on the floor... <laughs> I want the heart religion of the primitive church of the New Testament. I want it. And it involves allowing God to break your heart. Because things don't always go well, do they? Has things always gone well? No, they don't always go well. And we don't always get our prayers answered in the way we think they're going to be answered in the time frame we think they're going to be answered. And that is such, that's in the packet. Oh, what's wrong with prayer? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And so let's allow our hearts to be broken. But when we come to pray, when we come to pray for revival, which we are going to be increasing our prayers and our prayer times and stuff. Um, when you come to pray, when you come to pray for revival, rend your heart. And not your garment. Don't try to wear a garment that fits in. Because most of the real gut, real praying of revival is what you do in your closet by yourself. Where you're letting God break your heart and you're rending your heart and not your garment. Which it spills out into a public arena. But it starts in a secret place, I promise you. There is a working of God in a secret place where he starts dealing with us. It says, no, no, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for you to say the right things, Jane, or do this, blah, blah, blah. You rend your heart. You know how to walk in heart reality. You rend your heart. Don't be making a painted fire. Am I being too intense? Someone once told me I was very intense. <laughs> I think I scared Jimmy Lambert to death the first time uh, he ever saw me with a prophetic look in my eyes. They were like, oh, where's the door? And so then the third thing I want to say, uh, oh, uh, I'll give you some more history on this point, and then we'll, we'll go to the last point. So point one, give God your heart. Two, let it be broken. The numbers of these moderates had really reduced through the 1600s through persecution, and there was just a small or amount of them left in Moravia. They fled to Moravia. A bishop whose name was Comenius prophesied before his death of a remnant. He said, there'll be a hidden seed, and then at some point it will take root and bear great fruit. In 1722, one of these people from the history of this group, the moderates, named Christian David, came to meet Count Zinzendorf in the, what we would have known as the eastern part of Germany. Now, Zinzendorf, as a young man, he had an uncanny yearning after God. When he was four years old, he would stand on the balcony and throw notes to Jesus over the edge. When he went to university, he left university having started 15 prayer meetings. And he started a group called the Order of the Mustard Seed. It was a group of people that covenanted together for prayer and to walk in the light with each other, to live in, this, in these bands, which eventually that pattern of things is how the Methodists rolled out their revival through the societies and bands that the um, 
Moravians set up. But anyway, so Christian David is this person who is saying, we need a place for refuge. There's not many of us left. We've got to find a place where we can seek refuge. Here, in, he's in the Czech Republic, or in Moravia. Here is Zinzendorf. He is uh, somewhere near Dresden in those areas. And he is buying an estate from his mother, because he's like an aristocrat. He's buying a, an estate from his mother because he really wants to have a Christian community. These two things don't even know each other. These two histories are worlds apart. Here's the commonest of the common over here being persecuted and hated. And here is uh, Zinzendorf, who is, live, has lived his life in privilege, but he's kind of turned away from that. He wanted to be uh, involved in, in true heart religion. So he had, the, he had gotten the place. And so on this estate, Christian David came, and the hidden seed that Comenius prophesied about began to sprout. It was an example of the idea that a remnant will take root and bear fruit again. And Christian David asked Zinzendorf if he and his friends might find a place there where they could practice the heart religion of the early church without persecution. And they together built a community that they called Hernhut, the Watch of the Lord. In the order of the mustard seed, they had four thing, three things that were required that Zinzendorf lived by. The tenets of these societies were to be kind to all men, to be true to Christ, and to take the gospel to the world. So Christian David came and then other people started coming, persecuted believers from different sects, S-E-C-T-S. So when I say it, it sounds like I'm saying sex, but I'm not. I'm saying sex. I'm gonna, I don't know what, I'll say groups. How's that? Because I just can't say that without it sounding that way. Anyway. So, <laughs> so there were all kinds of different groups. of pe- Anabaptists came, different people came. There all different kinds of people came. And so they started settling on this, in this territory, and they're all there together, and they all have different ideas. They have different ways and different ideas. I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, but I want to break it out just a little bit more clearly. They got to creating division. They got to fighting. They got to arguing about, should you speak in tongues when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That, that's not what they argued about. That's what we might argue about. Do you have to speak in tongues when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or can you do it later? Is that the true evidence? Is that not the evidence? Is uh, do people, can you even do that? Is that even biblical? I heard that was not even of God. And um, so they're like arguing and disagreeing. And so they're in a place of complete uh, ar- division and argument. And so when we think about the Moravian people, we think, oh, these people, they were like sought God and they were like so, they were seeking God in one accord and he just fell on them. No, that's not what happened. They were not seeking God. They were arguing and fighting. They even wrote a song about it, about how they argued and fought. After the revival, they wrote a song about how they argued and fought. They were arguing and fighting. And so then, in that year, in that same year, that the Lord poured out his spirit in August, in May, Zinzendorf put out what he called a brotherly agreement. He called them to a meeting, he preached three hours, and laid out before them what would be required for them to be having refuge in that community. And so these are the things that broke their heart. These were the things that got into the heart of where they were. The first of their seven values of this agreement that they had all agreed to if they stayed there. Now, remember, they did not like each other. They did not disagree. They were from different uh, places and had different ways about them. 
these are the agreements they had to make. Number one, and if you have that thing to take notes, write these down. Number one was the need for personal conversion. The need for personal conversion. I heard Randy Clark say that at a certain point, it hasn't been super long time ago, in the Southern Baptist Cemetery, Seminary. Oh my God. I did not mean to say that, seriously. I've heard people joke like that, but I did not mean to say that. In this, uh, Rand is an American Baptist when he got involved with the, with the vineyard and before Toronto. But he was in the American Baptist uh, denomination. But in, I think he said it was in seminary that the Southern Baptist, uh, one of his professors said that the Southern Baptist at that time thought that 50% of their membership were born again. So you can be in a church, be in the membership of a church and not be a converted person. So I, the first thing they had requiring of them was a need for personal conversion. Not conversion in the sense of, oh, we all, we believe this, this and that. It's like a corporate thing. To be a part of the body of Christ is extremely personal. Because you have to be born again by the Spirit of the Lord. To let God, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and let him enter you. And, and change your heart so that you can set your heart of affection to him. Secondly, he required them a, com a commitment to simplicity and integrity as the marks of a true church. Simplicity and integrity. You know, God starts out with us and he starts out simple. And we make it so sophisticated and complicated and we add this and we add that and we add the other until pretty soon it's all stacked up to where you have, uh, you can't even dig your way through the complications that you've added on to um, what God would ask for you, from you. Simplicity and integrity. Number three, and this is where their hearts started getting broken. A refusal to be hostile to another believer. Have you ever been hostile to another? I've been hostile to other believers. Y'all never were hostile to anybody? Oh my gosh, what kind of people am I talking to? Where am I? <laughs> Have I dropped into a tail like Frodo? <laughs> I don't know what culture I'm in. <laughs> a refusal. It's a thing of refusing to be hostile to another believer because they are a believer. Even when, even when you believe that what they're under, they do not believe your understanding of the scripture. Somebody who believes differently from you. To not be hostile. A, weary, a wariness, not weariness, it was weariness, but a wariness. And I want us to take real note of this. A wariness of labels and names that might divide rather than unite. awareness of labels and names that might divide rather than unite so that inside this is heart stuff this is uh you know the church that i'm i guess my letter is still at golda no my letter's up at blountville methodist but i think the methodists have voted to split and at the conference i think they're going to split in the in the general conference this year i believe that's to be the to be the case unless the Lord intervenes. You never know what God might do. But anyway, I'm not talking about things where they're, the issues that they're dealing with are huge issues of biblical rights and wrongs and those things. But if we label, well, if we label a group of people, in a way that will make us divide from that group of people, like, well, you know, the Baptist, blah, 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 or, oh, you know, this church or that church. If we're going to have revival, we've got to stop that. 
We've got to stop that and be wary of saying things that label people and divide us from other Christian believers. That, that's a challenge to me. I like to rip out what I think about stuff. I do. I mean, seriously. Uh, even if I didn't say it to anybody, I like to say it to myself or out loud in the car. Be wary of labels and names that divide rather than unite. Think of the things in you that feel divisive toward churches, people groups, different nationalities. Come on, man, I'm going to get right up in your space. Uh, different nationalities, different people groups, different genders. All 15 of them, as Rebecca said. <laughs> All the different choices. Just, uh, sometimes at the doctor's office, I do just want to click, check, non-binary, just to mess with them. But anyway, I do. I mean, sometimes I'll think, I think I'm going to check that and see if Dr. Pearson even catches that. <laughs> Y'all know that I have, like, Oppositional defiant disorder. Y'all do know that, don't you? <laughs> Jimmy knows. Oh, God, Jimmy knows it. <laughs> Pastor Sue knows it. The active quest for spiritual growth. This is a f the sixth one. But check yourself about these things because those things, what it does, when you label somebody, what it does is it makes you feel like you're better. And it can give you a false sense of you're better. Because this person is this, and I'm not that, and so I'm better than that. We're not better than anybody. Absolutely not going to ever be better than anybody. And if we serve the Lord and pray in revival, we're going to be the lowest of the low and serving the lowest. And we're going to be glad if we have an opportunity to serve the lowest. Hallelujah. I feel preachy about that. So, number six, the active quest for spiritual growth. Now, this leads to point three. The active quest for spiritual growth. There's three conditions of heart that make us walk in heart reality and then heart religion of the New Testament church. The third one is pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Oh, you're just going to love this, Trace. Pilgrimage. Psalm 84, verse 5 says of the people who love the presence of the Lord, whose hearts are a highway to Zion. The scripture says concerning this group of people that is prophetic of a worshiping church or speaking of describing the church as lovers of God and worshipers, this psalm says, blessed are those who have set their heart on pilgrimage. You know, it does feel good to go in a different place, to get a fresh start. I've had a fresh start, and I liked it. I didn't like where I was, and I went somewhere else, and I learned to love it. And so God worked in my life, and those things are real, but someone who's present in this room, who I won't name, who's not Jimmy, and is female, said one day to me, well, Jane, wherever you go, there you are. There you go. Wherever you go, there you are. So if you don't set your heart on pilgrimage, you can take your body somewhere, and there you are. Because it is when the heart is set to change and move, you become different and you become new. And so that's the third requirement of walking in the heart religion of the New Testament church. An active quest for spiritual growth. And an active quest for spiritual growth, you decide yourself and say, I set my heart to change. I set my heart on pilgrimage. I'm not going to sit in this same dull, dead prayer situation that I'm sitting in right now. I'm going to put myself on a journey to grow spiritually. I set my heart on it. And the scripture promises that these people who have their hearts set on pilgrimages, they can walk right through a valley of weeping and turn it into a pool, turn it into a well, 
turn it into waters of life. But if your heart's not set on pilgrimage, and you get in a valley of weeping, you're going to drown there in the water. Because you're just going to sit there and cry yourself until you're like, oh my gosh. So, number six, an active quest for spiritual growth. There was to be, hear this, and I think I might tattoo this up my arm. Who did I see had that awesome tat up their arm? It was a verse. It was a cross with a verse. Oh, I know who it was, Jimmy's niece. It was a cross with a verse. It was so cool. I thought I might tap me up a cross with a verse right there. And if I did, I might put this. Let there be no reliance on the blessings of the past. Let there be no reliance on the blessings of the past. Set your heart on pilgrimage. One of the reasons people won't let go of something like, well, we've always done this, we've always done this this way, we've always prayed like here, and we've always done this, uh, because that's the blessing. We had a mighty blessing of the Holy Spirit in this church, and I've counted it the 18th day of February in 1980. Thank you, Mike. It literally went out of my head. I started to say 85. That's the year I married. That was also a blessing year. Uh, 1980, 40 years ago on February the 18th, and where it hit me with the mighty strength of it was in this room back here behind this wall. And some people who were divided and despising each other confessed it out loud and literally you could feel the presence of the Lord like tangible I didn't know if we were going to live or we were going to die so this year I want to commemorate that day I'm going to pray all day that day and commemorate that day and say to God, I set my heart on pilgrimage, Lord. You did what you did then, but I will not have reliance on the blessing of the past. I will take that as a testimony and a life giver and a working of the Holy Spirit that I have seen what you can do. And I want to see you do it again. I want to see you move again. However you move and whatever it looks like. No reliance on the blessing of the past. The people of God were to be intentional. So these people, he required that. If you're going to live on my land, you cannot have a reliance on the blessing of the past. Can you imagine telling somebody that? You've got to sign this. <laughs> uh, number seven. How long have I been talking? Hour and a half? 35 minutes? Are you serious? That's all? Thank God. Oh, you... Uh-oh. You might have to confess that in here, uh, Sam. <laughs> a readiness, number seven, a readiness to lay aside. And this has set you on pilgrimage, too. A readiness to lay aside your personal desires and be ready to make sacrifices for the sake of others. This week I saw people make sacrifices for the sake of other people. They laid aside what they were needed to be or do or whatever, and we're just making sacrifice. We see that all the time here. We see a desire, a willingness to make sacrifices and lay aside what we think, this is what I'm going to do today. Well, no, not exactly. That's not going to work out. But a readiness to lay aside our personal desires and make sacrifices. If God calls me to put my feet down in Syria... I did see a vision of that. Not my foot, I saw his foot. Open vision, I saw the foot of God go down in the nation of Syria, and I saw the dust of it spread all over that region. I prophesied it in this house. Y'all don't take my prophecy seriously. But I want to tell you, I saw uh, the Rodney King riots before they happened in an open vision, and they happened. So I'm not saying, y'all don't have to believe everything I say. I mean, I'm not saying that. Uh, but... 
God is going to do something. And as he moves and as we're praying and leaning into him, he will be saying, I want you to do this or you to go there. Or the people are not with us at this moment that will be involved in these things. You realize that when Zinzendorf's like getting this place to say, I'm going to have this property, he had never met Christian David. He did not even know those people. There will be people we don't know, young people, lots of young people to pray and seek after God. And if we do our jobs right, letting God break our hearts, setting our hearts on pilgrimage, leaning into the things of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to lead these young people in prayer in a way that they will yield their lives to God for the nations. It's an admirable thing to give your life to God for the nations. Oh, Jesus, let the life of the Holy Spirit be manifested in this place. That the true hunger to win for the Lamb that was slain, the reward of His suffering, will come into us. And that we'll not be trying to figure out how to make church happen. We want to be heart church. Like the New Testament church that fasted and prayed and sent out Barnabas and Saul that just went all through Asia Minor and that some part of, of oh, whatever. And preach the gospel. May the church grow. Well, in the packet, that the enemy got. He's got a little, it's probably three by five card. It says, they're too old. They're too old. Some of them are crippled or challenged. I, I don't think crippled is probably a good word anymore, but impaired. Some of them are impaired, mobily impaired. I don't know the words because I've not been trained for a while. That sounds good. Some are mobily challenged or mobily impaired. Some of them are old. And some of them are just too stinking young. And then there's this and there's that. And um, let me tell you, if you give your heart to prayer, it doesn't matter how challenged you are, how impaired you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Remember Elaine Canadle who gave her heart to God to serve him and went out of this house. I don't know that we blessed her so good when she went, but after she went, we realized, holy cow, what have we done? We probably said, I bless you, and begrudged her going. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying. Um, Mm -mm, no more. And so there she goes. She goes, she's sleeping on the jungle floor in Indonesia, wasn't it? Yeah. I see how I was. she was old when I met her. Yeah. I would go to uh, nursing homes with her. We'd get ready to go. She had this car, and I was like a teacher in the Bible school and the dean of the Bible school or something. So I'd go with her to a nursing home, and uh, she would we'd start to get, get in the car to go. And she'd say, Oh, I don't have any gas. <laughs> Okay. She said, that's okay. We go to Abingdon, to a nursing home. Minister in a nursing home and drive all the way back with no gas in the car. I have done this so many times. I've gone to Jonesboro with her with no gas in the car. Anyway, so she gave her heart. She was old when she gave her heart to God to do what he said. I want you by the Holy Spirit to shred every piece of information that's in the packet that's been handed to the devil to tell you you can't. You're too sick. You're too old. You're too impaired. You're too this. You're too that. You're too nothing. It doesn't matter if you say, I give you my heart and I will let you break it and I will set it on pilgrimage and I will do what you tell me to do no matter what it is and I will pour my life out in sacrifice and I'll be willing to lay down my Comforts in my agenda for the sake of the gospel. Oh, God, let it be so. Let it be written and let it be done. These were the pieces of it. They were active. These are these people. They were active. They were simple. They were peacemaking people. They didn't, they laid down their grudge holding and they were sacrificial. They were active. They weren't sitting around going, shut up, da, 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 500 years. No, they prayed and they went. 
They were simple. They didn't try to figure everything out. They were peacemaking. They didn't try to create divisions with people and, more, and, and label people and say, you're, well, you're this, you're that, blah, blah. And they were sacrificial. And so when these warring factions laid down their guns, <laughs> one time when we were praying in the noon prayer, the state of Tennessee was trying to pass a law or doing a law where you couldn't bring a pistol into a bar. And one of the rules of prayer that I, I felt and Ann Fletcher felt was when we came to the prayer room, if someone started with an agenda, we'd just say, hey, pistol's at the door. When you come to prayer, pistol's at the door. What the last note I received from Ann Fletcher before she went to her reward, she sent me a note and said, I love you. Pistol said the door. When they laid down their warring thing, on the 13th day of August in 1727, after they had met in May, where he called them with a three-hour preaching to lay down their divisions, they met again on the fourth day of July, to sign a brotherly agreement to labor together and work together. When the pistols were at the door, these warring factions made their peace. And on the August the 13th, 1727, during a communion service, call for that very intent. They called the communion. The minister, whose name was Roll, Roll I think, um, They called a communion service to the very intent to put the pistols at the door. As they confessed their hatred toward each other and the disunity that they had toward what you believe this, you believe that, the Spirit fell upon their gathering and birthed the most powerful mission movement in church history. On Wednesday night, I shared that was on seven. That was on thirteenth day of August. On Wednesday night, I shared on the seventeenth day of August. The Spirit poured Himself out on the children, and it was the children of that community that started the prayer meeting that lasted a hundred years. They set themselves to pray. They were children. They had an elder that was fifteen years old. Anna. Somebody, Nichman or something, I can't remember her last name. Um, that doesn't mean, well, let's find a 15-year-old and make him an elder. That means let's find the Holy Spirit to fill us all so we can move into places where we need to be moving and doing the things we need to be doing and being involved in this heart religion of the primitive New Testament. Maybe we'll name this church the heart religion of the primitive New Testament church. <laughs> that sounds like a church name, doesn't it? Oh, goodness, thank you, Lord. I'll have to repent of that. Somebody just said to me something I was grouching about, and they said, well, that's primitive Baptist. And I think I probably ripped out a few sentences on that. <laughs> Let's stand together. I want to ask you to commit yourself to... Pray. We're going to begin to pray more, but it's not going to be like prayer meetings. It's going to be praying a, lo a lot first by yourself, seeking God and setting aside time. And on the on the day of um, the eighteenth, I probably will want to have. I'll be praying, and I'll probably want to do like a schedule of people just to pray around the clock on that day. And I'll roll that out there, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And we'll be going in some different ways. Uh, we can't take the experience of the past and make it be alive right now. We've got to let our hearts be alive right now and see what the experience of the present is going to be because we don't know. And so that doesn't take anything away from the wonder of what we've experienced. But that's cold comfort to somebody that wasn't here and don't even know what we're talking about. Hello? Father, let's just make our commitment. Lord, just say it to him. You do... Do your praying there. Thank you, Lord. We say yes. We make our commitment, Lord. Give you my heart. 
I'm willing to let it break. Oh, God. And I set my heart on pilgrimage, Jesus. That stubborn thing in me, Jesus, put it. Put the axe to the root of stubbornness. It is idolatry. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Sam, could you play some music? And let's just, uh, if you want to come to the altar and make a commitment to the Lord, please feel free to and spend some time. Just take a few minutes. I'm not saying you should stay here like 24 hours. (laughs) But just take enough time to make a good commitment to Jesus here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. I make my commitment to you, Lord. I make my commitments to you, Lord. I make my commitments to you, Lord. I give you my heart. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Poppy, Poppy. Draw me, Lord, draw me, draw me, draw me. I say yes to you. I say yes to sacrifice. Jesus. Don't relent, Lord. Don't relent. Don't stop. Don't stop until you have it all of our